Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dugout Download, an Astros podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer of the Houston Chronicle, along with Astros beat writer Matt Kawahara. And we're coming down to the last two and a half weeks of the season, Matt. And at this point, a lot of people like to look at schedules. Who's got who left? Tight race in the American League West. Astros separating, separated by a game with the Texas Rangers, who are playing later on the evening as we're recording this. Game and a half, the Mariners. You think the Astros have an edge from playing the A's this week? But we found out this week that looking at the schedule doesn't necessarily tell you what's going to happen. Yeah, the A's came into Houston and played the Astros pretty tough. They won the first two games of that series where the Astros started uh, from Valdez and Justin Verlander, which nobody really saw that coming. Um, they still have the two series left against the Royals. I, you know, After that second loss... Apparently, Justin Verlander stood up in front of the group uh, sort of after that game and addressed him with I, the exact message wasn't necessarily relayed, but it, it was something like, hey, we can't take these games for granted. I mean, you have to come out and, uh, and, and play these games as seriously as you would um, any other game down the stretch. So who knows? Maybe that was a wake up call. I mean, that's one of a few sort of veterans standing up and addressing the group uh, that we've had in the last three weeks. Um, but uh, you know, they were able to salvage the last game of that series uh, to go in this short road trip to Kansas City, at least with a win and with that that AOS lead still intact. So, I mean, given the fact that they do have the, the two remaining series against the Royals, um, it seems like they do still have this chance to, uh, to kind of pad their lead a little bit for that last week, but they do have to go in and take care of business against those teams. Yeah, and you look at it, besides those six with the Royals, and maybe it's really a blessing this weekend because they get them on the road, so you combine playing the Royals on the road where the Astros have had all the success as opposed to at home. But this is a very interesting series. They're going to play a Baltimore team next week at home that's got a lot riding right now in the ALE. Stampus crept up. They play a four-game series this weekend, but could have a lot of meaning for the Orioles. Then they're going to play three at Seattle, closing the season. And then to close the season, the last series, three at Arizona. And the Diamondbacks may have a lot on the line. They're in that National League wildcard race. So we would think it'd be a chance to make some hay. You talk about the Oakland series, and one of the developments, obviously, the last game, they, they salvage it. They almost have the no-hitter. Presley gives up a couple hits in the ninth, but eight and a third innings of no-hit combined ball. But I think one of the things a lot of people are looking at over these last two and a half weeks is, who's the third starter for this club? Christian Javier, J.P. France, Hunter Brown-Brown. Did he throw himself back in the conversation a little bit with those five no-hit innings? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway of that last game was um, just the, the result. And you probably do have to weigh a little bit that the, the A's lineup is is a very inexperienced lineup. I mean, they were able to to get to the two starters beforehand, but I mean, Brown came out, and I think afterward, what was uh, interesting about his comments was that it wasn't necessarily that he was as pleased or drawing as much on the results as the fact that he felt like his curveball was sharper, his direction to the plate with his curveball was sharper. Um, he referenced feeling like he had a little bit more ride on his fastball. And he's been sort of going through this mechanical change. Uh, you know, he changed his delivery three weeks ago before that start in Detroit. Um, he's trying to make himself basically more compact, more repeatable in his delivery. And uh, it's the way that the pitching coach, Josh Miller, described it was that just, you know, make it more consistent, make it more direct toward the plate, eliminate some of the the pre-pitch movement where, you know, we would see him at the, the windup that looked like the Verlander windup, right? Where he would bring his hands up, bring them back down. They, they just kind of minimize all those movements to try to 
make it easier for him to sync up his mechanics going forward. So I think yesterday, um, one of the takeaways was that he f- was probably a little bit more consistent there and uh, the action on the pitches uh, was better. But the results obviously do matter. Um, and, you know, he did throw the five hitless innings. And I think, I mean, he had something like a 6-6 ERA over his last 12 starts or something like that. And it's been a grind for him. I mean, his first half was pretty pretty strong. And I think you, you probably had seen him fall out of maybe that discussion a little bit with, you know, JP France being pretty consistent for the most part. He's had a little bit of a rough stretch over the last month or so. But France has probably been their most consistent starter. I mean, he was arguably their most consistent starter throughout the, throughout the summer. But I think, you know, he, he's uh, definitely a candidate for that third starter role. Christian Javier is still going through, you know, whatever he's trying to, to find. It doesn't seem like he's really broken through yet, even though the team has really consistently s- expressed confidence that, that, you know, it's in there and that they're not giving up on him or anything like that. But uh, their hope is that he will find it. But so far, there hasn't been that breakthrough that I think they're hoping for or expecting. So, uh, so yeah, it, that will be an interesting decision. That's probably one of the the closest things to watch over these last two and a half weeks. But I think uh, to your point, yeah, Hunter Brown definitely put himself back into that discussion with that start. Assuming they keep Rakitian in the bullpen, each of those guys should probably have three more starts. We've got 15 games left, and you wonder. I mean, Javier obviously has that postseason pedigree. Last year, I believe from September 8th on, he allowed, if I'm not mistaken, like eight hits in his last 39 innings, uh, regular season and postseason combined. But we just haven't seen that Javier this year. And I guess the importance of it is. You're looking at the Astros. If they win the division, they get to skip the wild card round. They go to the division series. And for that, they'll need four starters. But if you get in that wild card round, you get to game three, it's hinging on that game three starter. How do you see Javier right now and JP France uh, as opposed to Hunter Brown? Well, Javier is, is still, you know, like we said, he's, he's still looking for that that really strong start. I mean, it seems like every, or at least a majority of the starts for the last two months have really been kind of similar where there have been some encouraging signs, but every start seems it's kind of like a labor, right? He needs uh, 80 pitches or 90 pitches or so to get through four or five innings. And um, there have been a fair amount of walks. Uh, he's not getting the, the same swing and miss on the, on the fastball um, that you saw for a lot of last season and for the first half. So I, I don't know that it's as, um, as steady, you know, as you would want going down the stretch here. Uh, I mean, t- the other thing about trying to maybe avoid that wildcard series is the turnaround to that is really quick. I mean, I think the AL wildcard series starts two days after uh, this uh, the season finale. And, you know, for teams that are trying to to get into the playoffs or, or just where those last few games matter, I mean, you can't really sort of set up your, set up your rotation the way that you would be able to if you if you win the division and are able to, you know, at least lock down not being in that wildcard series. So I think that that is probably, that's that's a big deal for them. It's not something that just think, hey, you get in through the wildcard. Just from the starting pitching perspective, I think that is important. Looking at the playoffs as a whole, I would contend that the thing that really made the difference for the Astros last year in winning it all was the bullpen. It was just superb all year long, and particularly in the postseason. Ryan Presley and Brian Abreu, I don't think gave up a run in the entire postseason last year. Uh, Rafael Mantero has been not what he was last year, but Hector Neris has maybe perhaps been the most unsung guy on the team. Yeah, he's having a great season. Great walk here. He'll be a free or He had a, a, a player option, or I guess a, a condition in his contract where you know team option for next year would turn into a player option if he hit a certain benchmark, which he's already hit. So 
uh, there's a likelihood or at least a possibility that, you know, he can exercise his player option after the season and become a free agent. Anyway, that's a little bit down the road. But yes, he is having a great season, extremely effective for them against both left and right handed hitters. And, you know, he, uh, if you have Presley and Brian Abreu as the, the typical 9 8 guys and you have Neris going in the seventh, I mean, that, that is a really formidable back end of the bullpen. There was, I think there was some question or there have been some questions about how to bridge to that if you're not getting longer outings from the starters, which they weren't for a little while. Um, Montero had that two-month stretch where he was not good, and they basically couldn't run him out there in any sort of a leverage role. But I think you've seen him inch back into that a little bit over the last couple of months, and he's been pretty good for the last two months, two and a half months or so. A lot of that was in non-leverage situations, but you are seeing him at a little bit more key outings like... like um, uh, Wednesday, he was the first reliever out of the bullpen after they took Brown out after five innings and 78 pitches. They brought Montero on for the sixth. Uh, he gave him a clean six, and then you're able to deploy that Neris, Abreu, Presley uh, lineup that is what you want to get to. One thing, I and I don't know how sustainable this is, but those three guys had a, a really heavy workload uh, for a lot of the season. I mean, you saw uh, Abreu was and, and it still is among the the league leaders in appearances Neris and presley were also up there they were working a lot but they the astros have had this sort of stretch maybe the last two weeks or so where a lot of their wins have been blowouts and a lot of their losses i mean it hasn't been something where they've they've been using these guys as much so there may be some sort of side benefit from that where these guys have been able to catch their breath a little bit um, I think the balance of that is, you know, you hope they're also going to be sharp. And if there's, you know, sort of a layoff in between outings and you, you, you do kind of have a balance, you have to find a balance there. And that was one reason that uh, Dusty Baker cited after the game yesterday about, you know, weighing the factors in the decision to take Brown out after five innings uh, with the, you know, the no hit been intact. Uh, I think, I mean, a big part of it and the big part that he stressed was that they wanted to get him out of there on a positive note because he has been, you know, going through a tough uh, stretch and, you know, they felt five innings. He was probably only going to go one more max. Um, so, you know, take him out after the fifth, have him leave the game feeling good. Uh, but also they hadn't used those high leverage guys hardly at all over, over the last week. So this was a chance to, to get them into a game with, I think they had a four run lead uh, at the time that Brown came out. So, you know, get those guys into a game, make sure that they're also staying sharp before the soft day and help them nail down a win, which they did. I, obviously, they, you know, they didn't finish the no-hitter. They came within two outs, but you know, that, I think that's secondary to, uh, to getting that win and, and protecting the division lead. Yeah, Presley finished a couple no-hitters last year, so we knew he had experience doing it. And as you said, it just set up right for a, a game that you normally wouldn't try out those guys. They were able to do it to get them some work and it just happened to be a no-hitter they were trying to preserve. Interesting uh, game coming up in the opener of the Royals series. We were looking at the pitching matchups, and we're going to see a guy that people got used to seeing over the last couple of years in Houston. Uh, this is not vintage Zach Granke this year, but he is getting a start on Friday after he's been kind of set up recently where he's they've used openers, and he's come in as the second pitcher after he's kind of had a, a almost disastrous season in his return to Kansas City. Yeah, I mean the record is bad. Um, the the Royals are uh, yeah having a rough season, but they, they, he is going to get this start. Interesting matchup in game two, too, where they're going to see Cole Reagans, uh, who was uh, one of the pitchers that the Rangers sent to the Royals, I think, in the uh, the oldest Chapman trade. Uh, and Reagans has been really good for the Royals. I mean, he's thrown 100 from the left side. He's got a big slider. 
the uh, the Astros have hit left-handers really well as a team this season. Um, they really struggled against a couple of left A's left-handers at home, um, but you know, generally they've gone on the road and hit a lot better at home. So there's all these different <laughs> factors that you're going to have to uh, see how it plays out in that Saturday. But I think that that matchup is going to be interesting because uh, Reagan's has been tough. Yeah, he was pitcher of the month in the American League for August. I'm sure the Rangers are thinking they got Chapman and. He's hit some bumps along the road uh, for them. Their bullpen is really a major concern for Texas. And, of course, Max Scherzer's now out for the rest of the year and ostensibly the playoffs. They've all but ruled him out for the playoffs. But one player I'm excited to see both this weekend and next at Benjamin Park is Bobby Wood Jr., who is really one of the American League's exciting young players, uh, shortstop for the Royals. Yeah, uh, you would think, I mean, a, a team that is going through like that, uh, or a season like the Royals are, um, you know, they're looking toward the future. And then obviously Bobby Wood is, is a big part of that. Uh, I think you saw a similar situation with the ace team that came in here where uh, they, they had a, a really bad first half, awful first half. And they got to a point where they were calling up some of their young players too. And a couple of the players that uh, played at Minute Maid Park over the weekend, like um, Zach Geloff, who was named AL rookie of the month, I think for August and, Lawrence Butler, um, maybe Tyler Soderstrom. Those are guys. Mason Miller, who started for the A's in, in the opener and only threw two innings, but he was throwing you know, 100, 101 regularly. Those are guys that they hope also can be part of the future. And and yeah, I think that it'll be, probably be a sort of a similar situation for these Royal Series where you don't know how that, exactly that's going to play because I think one potential factor in that A series was there was not, just not a whole lot of familiarity between between the, those young hit, I mean, with those young hitters, like you don't really know what their tendencies are, and uh, so you kind of have to feel that out from a, from a pitching perspective. And then also, these are guys who are hungry to prove themselves, um, and this is their chance because these aren't teams that are going to the postseason, and it's only a couple of weeks left. And so they're not probably not necessarily they might be feeling the physical grind of a full season, but there's a lot of motivation there to uh, to to make a, an impression and also you're facing the Astros and the reigning champions um, and a team that is, you know, probably bound for the postseason. So this is, these are important series coming down the stretch for, even for these teams that are not, you know, going to be playing into October. And and that makes it sometimes a tough matchup. Yeah. And which one of these power speed guys, he's got over 40 steals now and um, he's got 30 homers or not, but that leads me to my next question because the Astros have a guy like that in Kyle Tucker. 27 home runs, 28 stolen bases. So last year, 25-25, I think. So he's on the verge of maybe joining the 30-30 club. What does that mean to him? Do you get any sense of how badly he'd like to do that? Still second and third the other day, I noticed, to get to 28 steals. Yeah, he doesn't uh, He doesn't betray a lot of uh, excitement or emotion generally. Um, I mean, when you ask uh, about you know milestone numbers, that kind of thing, um, it's not something that elicits a big uh, reaction from him. I think uh, it, he has said in the past, though, I, I believe that, you know, a 30-30 season would be um, something he would value. And it's something that no Astros player has done since Jeff Bagwell. Um, so he definitely, ha- he, he's got a legitimate shot at it. Like you said, he's, he's only a few, uh, few homers and a couple of steals away. And as you saw, I mean, if he gets on the bases, he'll go. I mean, he's not, he's not afraid to take off. I think there was a stretch earlier in the season where the Astros is a, team were running a little bit more and that was kind of coincided with Jordan Alvarez not being in the lineup and maybe they figured like they needed to run a little bit more to, to kind of jumpstart the offense 
that hasn't really been as much of a, a key for them lately just because they have basically the, the lineup back intact. And so you don't necessarily feel like you need to run in order to build big innings. I mean, like we saw in the Padres series where they had a couple of games where they just strung together seven or eight hits in the inning and scored five or six runs. So the, the running game is probably a little bit less uh, important for them as a team. But uh, but yeah, I, I I do think you know that's from an individual perspective. That's that's going to be something that'll be uh, fun to watch down the stretch. Um, Kyle Tucker hit his hundredth career home run uh, last night Wednesday night. Kind of got overshadowed by the fact they still had a no hitter going at that point. Uh, but he hadn't uh, homered in 14 games, and I think that was the longest uh, stretch for him this season. So to kind of get that out of the way, you know, maybe uh, maybe he'll take off from that standpoint a little bit. Uh, but he, you know, he had gone through a little bit of for him, I would say, probably a lull. I mean, they had the huge series in Texas, and he wasn't a huge part of that. I don't know that he drove in a run in that series in Texas, where they scored 39 runs, I think, over the three games. So, um, for somebody who's been so consistently productive for them all season, he has, you know, he's gone through maybe a little bit of a dip, but he's still, I think at 105 RBIs, 104, 506. And so you, I mean, you know, he'll have chances to drive in runs being there in the middle of the lineup and, and, you know, he's got 15 or so games left to, to get those last few, uh, few steals and home runs. And I, I, I do think that it does, it does mean a little bit something to him. Yeah, and he is leading the American League in RBI, so it tells you the kind of overall season he's been having uh, with an occasional lull here and there. But uh, 15 games left in the year, and basically, it comes down to this in the American League. There are six playoff spots, and there are seven teams going for it. And we know the Twins are likely to win the Central. It's almost uh, sure that's going to happen. Baltimore and Tampa Bay. And so you've got Toronto in the East competing with these other three American League teams. The Rangers really took it to them in the first three games of that series. But So for the Astros, they could win the West. They could be a wild card. There's still a slight chance they don't make the playoffs just because of how tight all this is. But in theory, they're going to get a chance to win three games this weekend in Kansas City. But again, as Oakland showed us this weekend, you can't take anything for granted uh, as things go down the stretch here the last two and a half weeks of the season. Thanks for listening to this edition of Dugout Download, an Astros podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer with Matt Kawahara, reminding you that you can read Matt and the pages at Houston Chronicle and at HoustonChronicle.com. We also give our thanks to Pirate Audio for their expertise in producing Dugout Download. We'll talk to you next week.